0: Let us pray. So Father, we do ask that we would seek first your kingdom and your will be done in our lives and in the world. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, As I said in first service, just for full disclosure, I do not have a cold. I am not sick. Eliana had a soccer tournament yesterday with four games and I hollered too much so I'm Horace and um, yeah so taking it easy on my voice this morning Um, and I also want to express appreciation to Father Jed and our entire staff I was away at Anglican Chaplain's Convocation this week and it's just so nice to be able to go away and know things are taken care of and healed properly and I don't have to worry about anything so can we express appreciation to our wonderful staff i'm beginning a new sermon series today which will take us through most of the summer now today and next week my sermon will focus on introducing this new series and then i'm gonna be on my vacation for a couple sundays when i come back we'll dive into the series in earnest i often especially in recent weeks have referred to themes like citizenship in christ's kingdom in my sermons even as i mentioned last sunday it's critical for us that we give serious and thoughtful excuse me, thoughtful and prayerful reflection to what it really means for us, for you and me as God's people to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom. St. Paul in Philippians 3.20 reminds us, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are citizens of Christ's eternal kingdom, being citizens of that kingdom should first and foremost inform and transform every area of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. There is much confusion today in this, about this in our world, in our day with all sorts of, I believe, errant and unscriptural ideas, attitudes and behaviors being thrust upon us as the church from many directions, even from some within the church, not all saints, but the church universal, that really are pushing at times us in ways that don't honor the Lord. Our lives, our way of being and consequently our actions must be radically different than the world around us. Did you hear that? But it grows out of being and then our actions are radically different than the world around us. Now I am not talking about a list of do's and don'ts and even as I have said recently, that does not mean we act weird. You know, some people equate all kinds of weirdness and eccentricity to being Christian and say, well, that's what Paul meant or Peter meant by being different than the world or Paul meant by being of the world and not of it. No, we're not talking about being eccentric or weird, but we're talking about renovation and transformation of our hearts. And as God works that inner transformation in us and continues to work it, that leads to outward transformation of our ways of being and doing, how we order and conduct and prioritize the things in our lives. I think one of the best places in Scripture to turn for guidance for this is the Beatitudes in St. Matthew's Gospel. And it's very appropriate because the Beatitudes are in Matthew's Gospel and in the Sunday lectionary, the readings that we use on Sundays, we are in year A, which means most of our gospel readings for this year will come from Matthew's gospel. The Beatitudes, which are familiar to many of us, are contained in the larger body of Jesus' teaching in Matthew that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. So we will be taking some time this summer to look at the Beatitudes or blessings in more detail in the coming weeks. The Beatitudes are found in Matthew chapter five, verses 3 through 12. I know the Beatitudes as an entire body were read in the lectionary earlier this year, but we're going to deviate from the, the appointed readings and take one Beatitude a week and do a deep dive into these truths of God's word. And um, because of that, be prepared because when I come back from vacation, the gospel reading will be the same every week for quite some time because you will hear all the Beatitudes read every Sunday while we study this series. Let it sink in. Don't just turn it off. Let it sink in and saturate our lives. Again, the Beatitudes are familiar to many of us, but we need to be mindful no matter how many times we've read them, we've read about them, we've heard teaching on the Beatitudes, there is always more that God wants to teach us from his word. And there is always more growth and maturing that God wants to work in our lives. So our gospel reading today which will be the gospel reading again next sunday sets the stage for the sermon on the mount it immediately precedes the sermon on the mount and the beatitudes now the sermon on the mount occurs very early in jesus earthly ministry the only events in matthew's gospel preceding the sermon on the mount are jesus birth the flight to egypt his family's return from egypt to their home in nazareth after the death of herod and then the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, his baptism by John in the River Jordan, and the Father declaring, This is my beloved Son, affirming who Jesus is eternally, his temptation in the wilderness, and then his call to his disciples. And right out of that, we have the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter three, backing up a little bit, really marks the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. Again, where he is baptized by John in the Jordan we have, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, the voice of the Father coming from heaven, clearly affirming who Jesus is. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness and emerges from the wilderness, victorious over Satan's temptation, and calls his first disciples. So this all, and then moving into the Sermon on the Mount, is really the inauguration of Jesus' earthly ministry, it doesn't mean somehow that he didn't become God or the Son of God until that time he has forever been the Son of God. He was the Son of God at his conception in the Virgin Mary's womb. He was the Son of God eternal in that crush in Bethlehem. But when we hear the word inauguration, I think typically for us, the events surrounding the swearing in of a new president come to mind. And a new president's inauguration speech gives insight into the priorities, directions, plans, and other things a new leader will emphasize or value. I don't think it's out of line in one sense to think of the Sermon on the Mount like an inauguration speech, a divine inauguration speech, particularly in terms of the focus, emphasis, and key themes of St. Matthew's Gospel because the Sermon on the Mount sets the direction and tone for all of Jesus' earthly ministry, especially as it is recorded in St. Matthew's Gospel. (coughs) With the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, the eternally existent Son Son of God, with Him coming to earth as a man, the eternal kingdom of God breaks into human time and history in powerful new ways, especially for God's people. With the coming of Jesus and this fresh and expanded inbreaking of God's kingdom, there comes the possibility for a deeper and more, prof- more profound experience of the realities of the God's kingdom, beginning right here and right now. What kinds of things are we talking about? Well, first of all, salvation, restored fellowship with God available to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. Things like righteousness, justice, peace, joy, healing, the work of the Holy Spirit in believers' lives, God through Jesus confronting and overcoming the forces of darkness and evil in the world. All of these things are marks of the coming of God's kingdom, things that will be experienced in their complete fullness and perfection only when Christ returns yet even though we live in a world that scripture tells us is passing away we as believers we as god's people as disciples of jesus live in the realities of this age to come in some measure even now it's what old or excuse me new testament scholar george l ladd called the already and the not yet of the kingdom the idea that already yes we experience god's righteousness we experience god's joy we experience god's peace we experience Deliverance from sin—we experience the reality of of the powers of darkness being put to flight—and yet the fullness of that will not recur until Christ returns and His kingdom is fully established. It's kind of like this—I I was trying to think of an illustration—but um, if someone owns what we call preferred stock, and all along the way, as long as the stock's doing okay, you receive dividends on a regular basis you receive payments and yet while you're getting that the full measure of the benefit and the value of that stock doesn't come to bear until you sell it as long as it's done okay and it's kind of like that with God's kingdom we as God's people experience the blessings and the dividends and the realities even here and now knowing there is a fuller measure to come in the future in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus teaches us the ethics of God's kingdom And what he says here are instructions regarding how believers should live and conduct our lives by God's grace. These are not just nice thoughts. Did you hear me? What Jesus says here are not just nice thoughts. Not just things you should aspire to in some vague, impersonal, or unattainable way. And to be clear, they are not just for the future. There was a school of theology that emerged Um, in the 19th century and had a lot of influence in the 20th century as well called dispensationalism in its most austere or extreme form it taught that any reference in Scripture to the kingdom of God was solely and exclusively futuristic so in that theology everything that's said in the Sermon on the Mount is not for now it's for after Christ's return and the full establishment of his kingdom that doesn't bear out in Scripture that does not bear out in God's Word the Sermon on the Mount described the ethics of God's kingdom, and they are for God's people even now. Today's gospel reading leads up to the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And there will be three things from that over the next two weeks that I want to explore together. But we'll start today with what I call the components of Jesus' ministry. And as we do this, keep in mind... Um, new testament theologian craig keener talking about the sermon on the mount said it gives us a picture i like this imagery of how kingdom ready people live how kingdom ready people people who are ordering their lives according to god's priorities and the values of his kingdom how we live our lives it gives us a picture of how true christians as individuals and together as a church as a community of faith live so let's talk a little bit about The components or priorities of Jesus' ministry. Let's begin. Look at verse 23 of Matthew 4 with me. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. There are several things we read here concerning Jesus' ministry. First, Jesus went throughout Galilee. Galilee, the northern part of the kingdom, near his home, In Nazareth is where most of Jesus ministry took place I know so often our minds go to Jerusalem and Judea the southern part of the region but really that area played a primary or a key role only in the final months of Jesus earthly ministry most of Jesus ministry took place in Galilee in the north again verse 23 says he went throughout all Galilee and the idea here is not that he went throughout galilee just one time but rather the word indicates ongoing activity kind of traversing time and time again and, and moving throughout that region and teaching people and doing the work of the kingdom the second thing we see here are the three components or priorities of jesus ministry the first one is teaching teaching was primarily directed toward the people of god He taught them about what kingdom life looks like when lived out. He taught the ethics and principles of the kingdom and how we live this out in a way that demonstrates our salvation and also demonstrates our heavenly citizenship. The majority of things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount were teaching directed at those who were already in some measure his followers those who had already come to some basic level of understanding and belief in Jesus. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5 indicates this. Look at verse 1 with me. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Yes, the crowds were there. The crowds had gathered around, and certainly they overheard what Jesus was teaching, but Jesus sat down and his disciples, those who already had come to him in some measure of faith and were following him, sat down and were taught by him. The focus here is on the disciples. The teaching of the Sermon on the Mount was for God's people, the community of faith. We back up in verse 23, we read that Jesus was teaching in their synagogues, and synagogues in that time weren't necessarily a building. They could be formal or informal settings, sometimes buildings, sometimes not, often specific locations in an area where Jews met regularly to receive teaching from a rabbi or teacher. Jesus was clearly functioning in the role of a rabbi, and when he would go and sit down, folks would come to him and hear his teaching. So we have teaching. The second thing we have is preaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Proclamation or preaching is about proclamation. Declaring the good news of salvation, possibility of right relationship with God, forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life and the blessings of God's kingdom through faith in Jesus. Preaching primarily aimed at bringing about conversion. Now teaching does that as well when we talk about sanctification being formed into the image of Christ walking in obedience to God. There's a sense where that is ongoing conversion, but this is about that initial time of coming to faith in Christ, seeing people brought into and birthed into God's kingdom. And the third component or priority we see is healing. And healing is actually used very broadly here. Healing every disease and every affliction. When we look at verse 24, we see a list those suffering with pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed. And we know from looking at the gospel accounts that this is still just a partial list. Healing is a demonstration of God's authority. Healing is a demonstration of the inbreaking of God's kingdom into this world. It's a demonstration that this stuff isn't just talk not just preaching and teaching as incredibly important and foundational as they are and they must come first but jesus here then out of that teaching and preaching is demonstrating that what he says is real and is true he really is the one he really is the messiah and it gives us a picture of what the ministry of all of us together the church of Jesus Christ is to look like if we walk in our Lord's footsteps, if we walk as obedient disciples of his. Pastor and author Mark Buchanan writes about a time several years ago when he had gone to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, which is a large church in Brooklyn, New York. And some of you may know that um, the Brooklyn Tabernacle is known for their Tuesday prayer meeting, which they've been holding for probably 30 years now, every Tuesday night and several thousand people come out for that service. So he had gone to the service and then um, had gone out to, with the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, Jim Simbola, afterwards. And Jim Simbola said to him, Mark, do you know what the number one sin of the church in America is? And the, Mark thought he wasn't sure and thought the question was rhetorical anyhow. So he thought, is it the plague of the internet with pornography that's consuming our men? Is it divorced? Is it the divorce rate in the church, which is roughly the same as in society? A couple other candidates were named, all of which were dismissed by Jim Cimbala, who said the number one sin of the church in America is that its pastors and leaders are not on their knees crying out to God, bring us the drug addicted, bring us the prostitutes, bring us the destitute, bring us the gang leaders bring us those with AIDS, bring us the people nobody else wants, whom only God can heal and let us love them in his name until they are whole. Buchanan said, I had no response. I was undone, he laid me bare, found me out and exposed my fraudulence. I was the chief of sinners. I never prayed not once for God to bring such people to my church. So I went home and I repented, I stopped sinning, and I begin to cry out for the people that nobody wants. If we really believe what Jesus says is true, what he teaches us, what he demonstrates about the ethics of his kingdom, his call for repentance, and if we believe what he says about going around healing every affliction, every disease, and it's both spiritual and physical here, then we need to be about our Lord's business. We are to be about the work of the kingdom, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to continue Christ's work and ministry. That's what our Lord calls us to. Even as we heard last week in our gospel reading from Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did you hear that? All authority in heaven and on earth. That's the basis, that's the starting point. And because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Also, as we heard last Sunday from Mark 16:15, and Jesus said to them, go into all the world, all the world, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then finally in John chapter 14, the words of Jesus, truly truly i say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater works than these will he do because i am going to the father what kind of works is jesus talking about teaching preaching and proclamation of the kingdom calling people to repentance and powerful holy spirit demonstrations of the reality of the kingdom Yes, miracles and signs and wonders, but not just that. Being different, a different way of being, a different way of living, different priorities that God inculcates in our lives by his spirit so that we stand in contradistinction to the world around us, that we are those outposts of the kingdom of God here on earth. And again, the components are priorities that we need to have if we are to be like our Lord and to follow his example and walk as his disciples. Teaching, preaching, healing. So we begin this sermon series. Let's not sidestep what Jesus is saying to us here. Let's not or let's stop if we have taking the power and the truth of the gospel for granted. We can go through the Sermon on the Mount, we can go through the Beatitudes and again think of those, them as just niceties or nice concepts, but the reality is for me and for you as we go through this series, the Sermon on the Mount should challenge us, it should confront us lovingly and graciously, it should be unsettling for us at times not because scott's going to beat you over the head that's not what i'm talking about but but it should unsettle us as we hear the truth of the priorities of god's kingdom and the ethics and the values of his kingdom and we measure ourselves and our lives and our fidelity to christ in light of those theologian walter brueggemann in his book finally comes the prophet writes this the gospel is too readily heard and taken for granted as though it contained no unsettling news and no unwelcome threat. It is a truth that has been flattened, trivialized, and rendered inane. I pray that as we go through this series that God will speak to all of us about places where we have somehow flattened the gospel or trivialized it or rendered it inane. And that we repent of those things and be refreshed in our understanding and knowledge and practice of the gospel in a way that makes us those outposts, that makes us that salt and light, that makes us that kingdom of heaven culture that stands in contradistinction to the world all around us so that the truth of the gospel may go forth and that God will continue his good and gracious work of transformation in our lives. Let us pray so father we thank you for your incredible grace for your love for us for all of humanity we thank you for jesus your son our redeemer our savior and lord speak to us even as we begin this series lord convict us and change us and transform us may we throw the gates of our hearts and lives open to what you want to do in us and in our church. May we invite you in to do your transforming work and Lord, even your pruning work at times that we would not take the gospel for granted, that we would not think of the truths of your kingdom simply in theoretical terms, but that we would live more fully into the reality of being citizens of your eternal kingdom here and now that the world may know that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Son of God. And we pray these things in His name. Amen.